Let's thank James and our band. One more. We're about to have church here a little bit. That was great, wasn't it? Well, old Tom Cruise was in London a while back, and sometimes when Cruise is out doing things, he says he likes to take public transportation. And I was watching him interviewed about that on a talk show recently, and uh, Cruise said, yeah, one time you know, when we were filming in London, I, I wanted to go out and take the subway, what they call the tube. So it was rush hour, went down, you know, had my baseball cap on, had my headphones on, Tom said, got into a car, said it was packed out, sat down, and everybody was doing what we all do best now. They were looking down at their phones. And he said, after a while, I was kind of sitting there, you know, kind of minding my own business. I felt someone looking at me. And I looked over, and there was a 14-year-old girl who was just staring at me. And Tom said, I kind of went back and listened to some music, and I looked back, and she was looking at me again. And then this girl just kind of looked around at all the people there in the subway car that were looking down. And Tom said, she looked back at me. And Cruz said, I went, shh. And the girl just took her phone out of her purse, clicked a picture, and got off at the next stop. Crazy, huh? Think about all those other people on that subway car in London that missed the moment, right? They missed it, right? They're, they're like we are, man. We, we're distracted, we're busy, we're going somewhere, we're looking down, and, and we miss the moment. But that girl captured the moment. She was aware. She, she knew what was going on and, you know, saw this you know, superstar, movie star, if you would. You know, Easter's interesting. You all made it here to Easter in one piece, most of you. Welcome. But it's easy to get distracted on Easter. And you got a lot to do. You got to get dressed. You got a new tie or a new outfit, a new hat, a new dress, something. And you have lunch, you know. With so you're rushing. It's easy to get distracted and miss the moment. Perhaps today can be a God moment in your life on this Easter. Question, are you a curious person? Are you a curious person? In other words, do you like to ask questions and try to find out how things work? I don't know, for some reason, I'm kind of wired that way. And I know a lot of you and a lot of you are wired that way as well. I was watching a lecture recently called The Big Bang, Stephen Hawking and God. And this lecture was delivered by Dr. Henry F. Schaefer. And he is the director for Center for Computational Quantum Chemistry at Georgia. He has an MIT degree. He has his PhD from Stanford in chemistry and physics. And he has given this lecture literally all over the world. And what's interesting in this lecture, he talks a lot about cosmology, not cosmetology, 
That's a different message we'll look at next week. But cosmology, which is really the study of, it's a holistic study of the universe. So it involves a lot of the hard sciences. And cosmologists ask the question like, how did the universe get here? What is the nature of the universe and matter in the universe? Is it finite? Is it infinite? Because for many years, for thousands of years, Philosophers and then scientists believe in what was called the steady state model of the universe. In other words, the, the universe has always existed. It was simply infinite. But about 50 years ago, through technology and study and many experiments, scientists began to believe that from the data they have, that the universe had an actual beginning. So there was a time when there was nothing, and then boom, the universe came into existence. Now, that boom, we all know way back when from science class, is called the Big Bang, right? The Big Bang. And the Big Bang represents an immensely powerful yet carefully planned and controlled release of matter, energy, and time. It's the source of all matter that now exists in the universe. And so when this theory was being bounced around the scientific community around the world, many scientists pushed back, including Einstein himself, because they knew that there was a, if not a direct, almost an indirect correlation between the Big Bang and Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But even Einstein finally tapped out and said he believes that there must be a necessity of a beginning, that there must be a presence of a supreme reasoning power. Astrophysicist Dr. Hugh Ross said this. He said the evidence from cosmology determines that the cause of the universe is functionally equivalent to the God of the Bible, a being beyond matter, energy, space, and time of the cosmos. So God is a being that's uncaused, non-contingent, beginningless, spaceless, timeless, enormously powerful, ultimate cause of everything that exists. Genesis 1-1 frames it, in the beginning, God spoke, created the universe, and brought it into existence. Theologians say he created this world ex nihilo, out of nothing. We call that scientifically the Big Bang. The universe started off really warm and hot and exploded into reality and has been cooling off ever since. So, if you're curious, right, how do we get here? Where did matter come from? At this point, according to the data, the best data we have, there was a beginning, and as we believe, that beginning was through this all-powerful, all-knowing, non-contingent, ultimate cause, God himself. Now, if you're wondering, they're on the back row, back row Baptist. If you're wondering, what does this have to do with Easter? The Big Bang, right? What, what does that have to do with Easter? What does that have to do with what we're celebrating today? Well, think about it. If you're curious, 
What about Christianity? Uh, has Christianity always existed? Has it always been here? Or did Christianity have a beginning? And if Christianity had a beginning, what is the ultimate cause that has led to the effect that is the Christian religion and Christian worldview? Where today, one-third of the earth's population identify as Christians. Well, when you look at the story, when you look at the history, Christianity was really a movement that was dead in the water before it had a chance to start. Okay, so go back to the first century. You have in around 29 AD, you have this rabbi, this Jewish rabbi by the name of Yeshua of Nazareth, okay? And he is out and he is teaching. He is teaching you should love your enemies. He's teaching you should love God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. You should love your neighbor as yourself. You should give. You should be generous. You should forgive. Also, Jesus is not only teaching love and forgiveness, but he's actually healing people. Blind people can see and deaf people can hear and people who are lame can walk. And you can imagine in this small part of Israel, news of this is traveling everywhere. And so people are wanting to see this Jesus or to bring their loved one before him so that they can be touched, so that they can be healed, so they can hear his teaching of freedom and liberation. But Jesus started saying things that disturbed the populace. He started saying things like, if you have seen me, you have seen God. God and I are one. So he's creating, he's committing the sin of blasphemy. So the religious leaders of his religion turn against him. They collude with the Romans. The Romans were the totalitarian regime that were in charge today, the most powerful government in the history of mankind. And so they had him arrested, and the Romans did what they do very well. They executed Jesus Christ along with two other criminals that day in around 33 A.D., now, crucifixions were not unusual. Around 6 AD, there was another would-be Messiah called Judas the Galilean, and they crucified around 1,000 Jews who followed his movement. There were other Messiahs like Bar Kochba and others who had Messianic movements, but the Romans, again, executed them and killed them, got them out of the way. So now, this Jesus, this healer, this miracle worker, is dead. His followers are hiding. They're scared that they're next, that they're going to be crucified. They're going to be executed or thrown in prison at least. They're in deep grief. They don't understand. They're bewildered. All their dreams have been dashed. And now we pick up the story. In one of the gospel accounts in Mark chapter 16. Look what happens. It says, when the Sabbath, Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene Mary the, and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so they might go and anoint his body. Very early on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll away the, the stone when we get to the tomb? But when they looked up, 
they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. They entered the tomb. They saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. They were afraid. Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene. He was crucified. They all saw that. He has risen, and he is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go tell the disciples and Peter, and Peter. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So here's what happened. They go to the tomb. The tomb's empty. On the way back, some of the women encounter Jesus Christ. He speaks to them. He says, go tell the disciples. Go tell them what happened. Go tell them that I'm alive. They go into the upper room. Uh, the guys are in there. I guess they're watching sports or something, whatever guys did. And these women say, hey, we've seen Christ. He's alive. He's alive. And the guy disciple said, we don't believe you. <laughs> we don't believe you. But Peter and John said, we'll go check. So they got up. They ran down to the tomb. They saw that it was empty. They still didn't understand. And then as time passed in that same room, Jesus Christ appeared to them. He said, here I am. Peace be with you. He said, I'm, I'm not a ghost. Please get me something to eat. Thomas, another disciple, was not there. The disciples told Thomas, hey, we've seen Jesus. He's alive from the dead. And Thomas is like, I don't believe you. <laughs> I'm not going to believe it until I see him for myself and touch him. I will not believe he's actually alive. Dead people don't rise from the dead. Eight days later, they're in the same room. Christ appears to them. And he speaks to Thomas, and Thomas touches him and bows down and says, my Lord and my God. Then after that, Christ appeared to the disciples many times. He appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses at one time. And Paul said, you can Google them. Most of them are still alive and talk to them if you want to. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And then he appeared, of course, to Paul. So, what does all this mean? Well, historians will tell you that the only plausible, powerful enough cause to produce the effect that is Christianity is and was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Almost all of these followers, except one, went out and they gave their life for the belief in the resurrection. Their entire lives were transformed from cowards into men and women of great courage. And you know this, when you've lost a loved one a day or two or three days later, you don't want to make up some myth about somebody being alive so that you can go out and get killed. Dr. Henry Schaefer, the guy who I mentioned that lecture earlier, um, said this. He was asked, you know, how can someone of your intelligence believe in the resurrection of Christ? And here's what Schaefer said. He said, I think the historical evidence is very strong. The alternative is to conclude that Jesus Christ's closest friends and followers colluded in a vast conspiracy to feed themselves to the lions. And the probability of that seems very small to me. So we know of no form of Christianity 
not the earliest forms of Christianity that didn't have the resurrection at the very center of its beliefs. Eminent historian N.T. Wright said this. He said, Christianity began as a resurrection movement. As I've already remarked, there is no evidence for a form of early Christianity in which the resurrection was not a central belief as if it were bolted onto Christianity at the edge. It was the central driving force in forming the whole movement. The resurrection was the big bang that launched the revolution that radically changed the world. Facts. When you look at when you look at the indescribable vast impact of the Christian worldview, it's hard to truly soak it in. When you look at science, technology, medicine, the fine arts, architecture, politics, literature, music, philanthropy, charity, disaster relief, trying to end world hunger, philosophy, the abolition of slavery, the superstructure that undergirds the United States and the entire Western world, all have its roots and foundations in this resurrection worldview called the Christian faith. These early followers of Christ had nothing, no money, no weapons, no printing press, no Twitter, no social media, no military, nothing, nothing. They had no political power at all, zero. And yet, because of their story, because of their experience, because they were around this Jesus of Nazareth who died and rose again, they were able to change the face of the entire world and overtake the Roman Empire in 300 years. So today, right now, in cathedrals, in worship centers, in homes, in mud huts, you have over two billion Christians worshiping in thousands of languages saying this, he is risen, Christ is risen. So on a perennial level, whether you believe in Christ and the resurrection or not, on a perennial level, it's hard to underestimate the impact of the Christian worldview and the freedom it's bought to millions of people. At the same time, Christianity has always been about this personal encounter, this personal relationship with this creator God. It's always been about that. So there would be no Christian worldview. There would be no Easter celebration. There would be no two billion people following Christ today if these early men and women would have missed that moment with the resurrected Christ. 
Mary Magdalene was full of grief and sorrow and shame, but in a moment, the resurrected Christ transformed her life. Paul was filled with anger and rage trying to abolish people who believe in the resurrection until he, this brilliant philosopher, theologian, had an encounter with Christ and his anger melted into humility and he began to take the Christian message and mass market it around the world. Thomas was full of doubt, full of doubt, until in a moment he had an encounter with the resurrected Christ and Thomas died as a martyr in the country of India. Peter was full of failure, right? He blew it in the red zone. When it counted, he denied Christ. Surely God will never use Peter again. But when he encountered the resurrected Christ, Christ forgave him and his failures melted into forgiveness. And he was one of the leaders of the early church. And he was crucified upside down by Nero himself. They all did not miss that moment, that personal encounter with the resurrected Christ. So it's one thing, it's one thing to believe that the resurrection was the big bang that launched this revolution that radically changed the world. It's quite another thing to ask the God of this resurrection to come into your heart and your mind and to change your world and to change your life. Some of you have already done that. You say, hey, you're preaching to the choir. And I would say, I know that, but sometimes the choir needs preaching too. You say, hey, I'm in. I believe that Christ rose again. I'll tell you what Paul said at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, that epic chapter on the resurrection. Continue to serve him well. Continue to serve him well. You have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to pass on this message to others. Serve him. Tell others who he is and what he's done in your life. And if you haven't experienced him, if you haven't had that moment with the resurrected Christ, my prayer for you would be that this is that day. This is that day. Don't miss the moment. Don't miss it.